Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to The Front 3. It is Monday, which means that it's The Front 3 that goes over the summer. Today, I'm joined by Nico Morales from America and, of course, Kristen Hedich from the Northeast. Lawrence has got a package to deliver to his girlfriend and Adam Boltwood, obviously, with it being a you know, fiancé waiting at home, just has no time for The Front 3 anymore. But hopefully, us three can take you through the next hour or so and drop some stats, some bombs, some information and some damn right opinion. But first up, of course, today we're going to speak a lot about transfers, so why not talk about the big one? And that is Neymar to PSG. It was reported in the press over the weekend or over the end of last week that PSG were ready to uh, pay the release calls for Neymar. It was set around 222 million euros. Kristen Hennage, what do you think about this one? I, I can understand why he's enticed by that deal. Um, I think it was reported as much over the weekend that the appeal for him is the opportunity to become uh, the big man on campus, if you will, or the, the, the centrepiece. Because I think, look, if he is going to achieve the projected potential for himself, he, he can't constantly kind of be a side piece to to Messi and at the same time Messi is always going to be the fulcrum of of the tapestry that is Barcelona as long as he's playing there I don't think it's it's ever going to change that dynamic so I think the notion that this is about money is a little bit misguided um almost myopic because he's already making a ridiculous amount of money I don't think even half a million a week I don't think that change dramatically influences his life and, and what he's projected to potentially make over the course of his career, if you think about it. Um, whereas if he can go to PSG and just let's, for argument's sake, say win the Champions League with them or something of that nature, do something sizable hmm. um, that's not winning the domestic league because they've already done that and it's not a huge achievement for, for PSG. Then he almost cements his own legacy and builds his own... Uh, reputation, if you will. Whereas, if if next season he stays at Barcelona and he wins the Champions League, it's not seen so much as a Neymar achievement. It's seen as a Barcelona achievement. And I think for him, the the individualistic nature of things um, is coming to the fore with this one, rather than some kind of greed for for more finances. Yeah, I think it's an, it's an interesting proposition. Obviously, uh, you know, his father is his agent, and it is. It's where does Neymar go? How does Neymar get into the Ronaldo-Messi category? Is it staying at Barcelona? You know, he, he performed exceptionally well in the Champions League, um, you know, with a very poor 
for Barcelona's standard side. Obviously, you know, be, beating PSG and Neymar being the hub of that. PK tweeted on Saturday at a nightclub with a, with a picture of Neymar saying he stays in Spanish. Nico, do you think he's going to stay or is it time for him to move on and, and go to Paris and go to this new project with Thiago Silva? I mean, he could. I think a lot of what Chris says is, is correct. You know, there are motivations outside of the money. But another thing maybe that I'd like to look at from a tactical perspective is that I think Neymar is one of those players that we all know of his quality and his skills and the way that he likes to play football. And that doesn't really, that might not fit into Ernesto Valverde's plan of being this hyper pressing side and being um, really disciplined off the ball. And he may not want to do that. He may not want to work exceptionally hard off the ball. And if he can go to a team that's willing to to offer him a a different role, um, the role that he prefers, not only for now, but one that might elongate the longevity of his career, you know, with injury, and, and the intensity in which he plays, then you know that they there's a situation where PSG could offer all the positives for Neymar. So I'm not exactly sure if he's leaving. I think you know continuing to play with someone that's con- widely considered to be the best player of all time is an advantage for any player. But you know there are some there's a there's a possibility within that, and it's not just about money. So I, I would say that there's a possibility, but I don't think it's likely. It is an interesting one. It is sacrificing playing with the greatest player ever. You know you. You listen to Neymar in interviews and he always talks about his relationship with Lionel Messi and how Lionel Messi's done a lot for him. So it would be quite interesting if he was to you know, jump away from Lionel Messi. But maybe that's where, where Neymar needs to, to go in a way. But it just seems like Paris at the moment just seems like the wrong project for any superstar, whether it is Alexis Sanchez or Neymar who ends up there. It just seems like a strange one. But in terms of replacements for Barcelona, um, Coutinho um, has been heavily linked over the last week. Obviously, Lawrence McKenna would be very upset if Philip C moved to Barcelona now. Um, it seems like uh, Coutinho is going to be the main hub for Klopp next season. Chris, do you think Coutinho would fit in at Barcelona? Would it be a direct replacement for Neymar? Is he consistent enough yet to play for Barcelona? Uh, no, he's not. No, I don't think he's, he's consistent enough yet. Would he fit in? Yeah, I think he would. He'd be a, a slightly different proposition to Neymar. I think. I don't. I don't know if he's quite as able to go past people. I think he's a wonderful dribbler, but what I mean, like. Neymar just seems to have this this pace matched with stability when he runs, so he never looks unbalanced when he runs. Um, and uh, it's it's just very it's 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 still a, a very great player joining that club. If if he does, I mean, because I mean, Klopp has said you know he's not for sale, all this kind of stuff, yada yada yada, and I totally understand that because the thing is. I always find this so funny about Coutinho that he, he was really close to Southampton before he joined Liverpool. A lot of people forget that, that Pochettino was like very close to getting him. And he, they've had to be a little bit patient with him, which might sound hypercritical. But what I mean by that is he had a few things to work out. Um, I don't think he would be a direct replacement stylistically or in terms of output, but I still think he'd be a really good player. Um, I think he would fit into to what they want to do very well. I think that's the next question: is what you know where this Barcelona team does go um, under Valdeverde in terms of Coutinho. For me, kind of excelled in a four-four-two diamond, playing as that left central midfielder. They've been searching for this Andres Iniesta replacement, not quite a replacement yet. But Andres Iniesta does have these dodgy knees. He didn't play as much last season. 
Coutinho going to Barcelona could mean Barcelona did switch to a 4-4-2 diamond. Yeah, potentially they'd need a, a number 10 to play behind both Messi and Luis Suarez or even play Lionel Messi there. Nico, do you think that's a good tactical setup? It potentially mean that Barca would have to go out, sign Coutinho, then sign another striker to replace Neymar. Do you think that's a good approach for Valdeverde? Yeah, I think I'd like to see that, you know, putting Messi as more of a central midfielder, like you said, at the number 10 is something that I think any football fan that's watched Messi at all would like to see. But they wouldn't really even have to go out and buy another striker. You know, they have um, maybe they could play Luis Suarez and Paco Alcacer up there. Um, And then also sort of, you know, moving towards Coutinho, it would be asking Barcelona the question as to whether they'd like to play Coutinho in his current role, which is sort of like that inside forward coming in from the left wing, or if they'd like to play him as a central midfielder. And and personally, the latter is something that I'd like to see a lot more, whether Coutinho goes to Barcelona or not, is using Coutinho as a central midfielder, using him as a more uh, versatile player and seeing that evolution in his game. And if he can achieve that at Barcelona with Messi at 10, I think that's that's one of the dreams that a lot of football fans, you know, would be happy to see and would garner a lot of positive results. Oh, I think it'd be beautiful if Coutinho left Liverpool and went to Barcelona. I think I'd be able to support the young lad again. Um, but in terms of his <laughs> style, I think it'd be perfect and it'd be really interesting to see. In terms of other players that have been obviously mentioned this summer, uh, Verratti's been heavily, heavily linked with Barcelona. Potentially, if Barcelona wanted to put a swap deal in, in, in play, Verratti would be perfect uh, playing in the north east of Spain. Other players that have been linked, uh, Mangla Sarr, obviously a wonderful talent at Nice. Uh, Mbappe could be a good option. Maybe Anthony Martial after he destroyed Real Madrid, but we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Munayin is another name that I thought about that could be quite interesting. I know uh, Valdeverde bringing one of his players from Bill Bauer. Always been a Barcelona S player Blair for me, Munayin. Very short, very good on the ball. Always had that type of uh, you know ability to unlock a defence. In terms of uh, you know people, their opinions on this deal, this two 222 million euro deal. Honus um, has come out, the uh, Bayern Munich, he's one of the uh, directors. Um, did you guys see his quotes? Uh, I did not. So he's pretty angry with this um, and he came out and he said, this is a sign of weakness. If I had spent a lot of money to reach nothing, it's rather a sign that I've not worked so well before. It's quite interesting coming out of Germany. Obviously, Bayern Munich are a very well-run club. We're seeing the sign, signings of uh, Schuller and Rudi is a sign of that this summer. But do you think that the project or at PSG has, uh, has been a bit of a mess over the last few seasons if they're going to have to go in and spend €220 million Euros to br- bring Neymar to the club? Uh, I'm going to go with Nico Morales here. What do you reckon? I, no, I don't. I think that's too harsh of a harsh of a criticism from Ulioness because you know they've dominated Liga, and though people may see that as you know an easier thing to do, oh, you know on, it's not. Hold on, Monaco won the league this year. Nico? No, yeah, by all means. That's, but that that that's exactly what I was about to come on to. You know, it maybe have seen maybe people people saw that as an easier thing to do in, in season in seasons past. But as we saw, you know, this season there's plenty of quality both at Nice and then at the eventual champions Monaco this season who were able to win the league over PSG. And you know, I think they were going through a bit of a transformative time. You know, adapting to the new style of their coach Unai Emery, who I think will eventually lead them to European success. I think there's so much luck there's so many other factors that are not within your control as a club and as players and as coaches that go into winning the champions league that you 
you know, yes, it is down to being a great team, hitting your stride at the right time. All the things that go into that fall sometimes fall within your within your control. But at the same time, I think they've been extremely unlucky drawing some fantastic sides very early in the competition. Um, and like we saw this season, you know, it was the greatest comeback in Champions League history and possibly, you know, the history of football um, with everything that they were able to do. And yes, it was really poor game management from Unai Emery. But at the same time, I still think, you know, they, they've done a lot with that project at PSG. And I think if they can, even if they don't sign Neymar, they still have a good chance of, of getting to the level that they want to be at. Um, with Unai Emery and, and the things that he'll be able to do with whoever they end up signing. So I think it's a little bit harsh from Leoness, but I'm interested to hear what Chris has to say. It's it's a funny one for me because I almost feel like he's being a little bit hypocritical because uh, to me, Bayern Munich haven't necessarily bought a lot of low-cost players and turned them into to wonderful stars I mean you could argue a lot of Bayern Munich's recent business has been buying their competitors best players domestically at least like Goetzer and Hummels and I mean Lewandowski they got for free but still it, they're not thrifty shoppers I would say Bayern Munich they, they, they're very good at finding players but even then they're, they're largely known quantities so they're, they're good at um, avoiding the the duff players if you will um, and I just I don't know it's, it just strikes me as a little bit of there's a little bit of needle on it like almost kind of bitterness might be the wrong adjective for it but but that kind of uh, vibe to it because the thing is with PSG I, I must confess I'll disagree slightly and say I'm not sure if, if Emery will, will deliver that kind of thing to them because I'm a little bit sceptical of him from a uh, a mentality standpoint in terms of how he handles pressure and things like that. With that aside, for them to to win the Champions League and, and perform like that, they're, they're going to need game changes and they are very hard players to find. And and unfortunately, the, the game that we play these days doesn't have a lot of patience attached to it. So if you can facilitate a deal for Neymar, then why not do it? I think that's the difficulty. There's a fine line between... Um, sort of ostentatious extravagance and ambition and I think for PSG they're, they're treading that line at the minute because to some people it's it's an ambitious attempt to do something they really want for, for other people it's just proof that you know money is uh, diluting the, the maybe validity is the wrong word but the, the legitimacy of the game yeah, I think it's 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 just an interesting one all all round. Um, I think a lot of the the press that's going around, especially this this window, seems that there's a lot of opinion um, over a lot of you know a lot of different people coming out of the woodworks and, and making their opinion um, you know uh, pronounced across the European world of football. And maybe they they should be looking in the mirror and improving their own methodology before going out there and, and slamming somebody else. In terms of other methodology, um, in terms of Conte, let's move on to, um, it was appearing that Lukaku would be signing, re-signing for Chelsea, should we say, um, and that was blown out of the water by Manchester United. Apparently Lukaku had always wanted to move to Manchester. But Chelsea, um, they made the signing of Morata over the weekend. For me, a fantastic bit of business. I kind of wanted Morata over Lukaku um, You know, two, three weeks ago. I thought Morata's got some real good potential. I think it'll be a fantastic signing. Nico, do you think it'll, it'll instantly fit into this Conte 3-4-3? Uh, do you think there'll be a change of system? Uh, how good is he going to do in the Premier League? 
I think you'll do exceptionally well. You've done a really good job, I, I think, in some videos before and, and definitely on the podcast of illuminating the fact that Murata is a really talented striker. I think he is in the mold of, of sort of a modern player up front. You know, he has the pace, he has the quickness, he has the, the ability to find those goals and fit into a lot of systems. And he's done exceptionally well, even though the, the climate and the environment at Real Madrid were, wasn't always for him. You know, we've talked about several times sort of Ronaldo not preferring to play with him. And he still did exceptionally exceptionally well in, in the limited minutes that he was allowed to play and his development at Juventus is also something that furthered him in his career. Um, the only thing that I think might hold him back is something that Buffon also touched on, which was, you know, he, he has, he seems to have a bit of an attitude issue. Um, and hopefully that's something that won't hamper his ability on the field. But I think if anyone uh, could really grab hold of a player and, and, possibly coach those things out of him make him grow up a little bit because i think footballers especially young footballers in the in the modern era of the talent of someone like Murata receiving all that attention grow up in a little bit of a of a, a sheltered environment so they they're they're not really as mature as they should be in some in some senses but if anyone can allow the the personal development of Murata to continue i think it's antonio conte so I don't really foresee that big of a change of system. I think they're going to go with, they're not going to fix what's not broken. It's just going to be a little bit more dynamic. It's, it's going to be uh, more about accentuating the best qualities of that forward line, because I think that's the brilliance of this Chelsea team is um, the way that those three attackers or at times five attackers um, are able to go forward. So I, I think he'll do exceptionally well, whether it, you know, whether he went to United or Chelsea, I think he was always going to do well, but I think he'll do great things under Conte. Mm, I kind of agree with that. You know, you talk about his, his record in terms of his goals per minute. He scored a goal every 89 minutes in the league last season. That was only better by Lionel Messi. He scored 15 goals from just 30 shots on target with a 28% chance conversion. He scored more league goals than Neymar, Jamie Vardy, Dybala and Benzema. The thing that I like about him is he's so good at dribbling. He's really, really good on the ball. Completely dribble every 61 minutes in the league, which again was the best record of any striker. And he's quite simple in what he does, but when he when he's in front of goal, he's a killer. The, the one thing that potentially might not work for uh, Chelsea, yeah, potentially could be he scored a lot of goals from crosses. 40% of his goals in the league came from crosses. If you look at the, um, you know, if we rank the Premier League by uh, crosses per game put into the box last season, Chelsea, in fact, are ranked 15th. Only Bournemouth, Burnley and Sunderland put fewer crosses into the box than Chelsea. Chris, do you think stylistically that might be an issue for Murata developing into a top-class Premier League striker because Chelsea don't just cross the ball enough? Uh... No, I th I think actually that the issue that will inhibit him if it does is one that that Nico touched on, and it was interesting. Real Madrid did this very long uh, documentary. I don't know if maybe documentary is even the right word to to kind of commemorate his departure from the club, and. In it, Morata discussed that he was very good at tennis as a youngster, but he said himself he didn't think he had the right mentality to become a tennis player. Now, in the Premier League, with that transfer fee applied, being, I think that makes him the club's most expensive signing ever, I think, hopefully, yes. Yeah, that's um, Torres. He broke the Torres record, didn't he? Yeah, so he's broken the Torres record. So, in a lot of ways, he's got everything he wanted, which is he's centre stage, he's not a substitute, he's the man they rely on. That with it will bring a lot of pressure. So my concern is not necessarily challenge creation, because I think uh, I think Chelsea will create a lot of chances this season. I think what you'll see is with Bakayoko coming in for Matic, you'll see 
even more control in central midfield or more responsibility given to that back five or actually back seven kind of. Yeah, the, the, the three at the back and then the wing backs and the centre mid will have a lot of defensive responsibility. And then the front three, great podcast, will oh, have yeah. so much kind of creative and attacking freedom that you'll see the likes of Hazard and, you know, Pedro or William or whoever it turns out to be in that other spot really expected to create a lot for the team. And so I'm not worried about him getting chances. If he doesn't start quickly um, and he doesn't get that first goal very early, I'll be very concerned about him going inside himself. And and the same applies that when he plays the Man United's and, and the Liverpool's and Tottenham's and these big games where he does kind of need to be a little bit of a, a difference maker, like Costa was last season. I'm slightly concerned then how he'll handle things, even more so if, if Costa's still at the club and is essentially vying for that spot alongside him. Are we also ignoring the, not that, you know, Chris didn't, but, you know, we've seen a lot of preseason success from Mishu Bashuai and, and how incredibly yes, talented he point. is. Should should Chelsea be, you know, going out and getting Morata when they have someone like Bashuai? I'm not saying they're of the, you know, of the same level, like I said, and like Dave said, and like Chris said, you know, there's a lot of quality to to Murata that that a lot of people can see. He's an exceptionally talented player, and he's a young footballer too. But Mishibashuai is a is an excellent player, and you have to imagine that Chelsea bought him with some intent of playing him eventually. And if Conte doesn't put him in those positions this season, then you have to wonder when he starts to get those positions, right? I think it's a very very interesting point. You know, we, we did see at the weekend that Chelsea beat Arsenal three 0 in a friendly goal from William. Um, then two from Bashuai and Bashuai one of the goals with left foot was just absolutely incredible brilliantly whipped finish into the bottom corner but again it is yeah, yeah it's, it's giving chances to young players you know another big player we haven't even spoken about that Chelsea had in their, on their books Tammy Abraham's a young English striker that's come through their academy that played well at the under 21 uh, European Championships that dominated the championship last season against big physical defenders and again he's been shoved out on loan to Swansea Surely with Murata, Abraham and potentially Bashwai as a as three guys vying for one spot, one of those guys is going to come good. And again, Murata isn't a gamble. Fantastic last season. But if you think about the last five years, he's been playing, he played quite a lot over those years. He only scored 40 goals, only got over double figures once in the league. That was last season. So it's, it is a lot of pressure for Murata. And I, I agree with what, both of what you guys are saying that if he doesn't get a goal early, this could really become a problem. Another problem, obviously, that Chelsea have is Eden Hazard is out injured. Um, an ankle injury, I do believe. Who do you think is going to come into the side to replace him? Willian has starred in, in pre-season so far, scored a wonderful goal again against Arsenal, with a, a brilliant dribble from um, just inside Arsenal's half. Do you think he's the guy that's going to come in, or potentially is there an avenue for a 3-5-2 with Cesc Fabregas as a centre? Yeah, I was, gonna, I was actually going to say that, is that it, it is a possibility that we see a 3-5-2, because imagine the quality of, of a team that's able to accentuate both you know the exceptional pace strength and power and striking ability you know the thing that you sort of alluded to when you mentioned the statistics of both Murata and I think Batshuayi as well is that shot selection is a big thing for younger players and I think um, just to bring up someone that doesn't have great shot selection but I think under the right coach could be more you know even more exceptional than he already is is Nathan Redmond Nathan Redmond has extremely poor shot selection he takes shots at the wrong times and and you know needs to work on that but Alvaro Morata and Michi Bacuay I think have shown that they know when to shoot they know how to shoot they they know how to get themselves into these positions so a Chelsea team that has both of those players has 
the the player that made a huge difference for them off the bench in Cesc Fabregas, aided by the likes of Conte and Bakayoko, with the wing backs, you know, you know, with the success of the wing backs that they had last season and the the exceptional back three. I mean, that's an that's another team that could has changed it has changed it up enough to to allow some some fresh some freshness within their tactics and maybe yet again dominate the Premier League. Mm. Yeah, I think Dave makes a, a valid point though about uh, Abraham and, and that whole thing in general. Like Chelsea, to me, consistently just really overstack themselves. And like you look at the, too. yeah, like exactly. Great point, Christensen. Another one who there comes a point where I just think, you know what, take take a risk, so to speak. Kind of just mm-hmm. put a player in there that maybe isn't perfect. So that you don't have to do a situation like the, I mean, from a, a recruitment standpoint, the Pogba scenario from a Man United perspective is like your worst nightmare in so much as you have to pay an, a huge sum of money to get back a player that at one stage you owned and theoretically could have had and molded yourself. And I do, I just, I, there are times I don't dislike Chelsea, but I, I get more painfully aware that every time you criticise a club, it supports think you despise the team. I really don't. I've got a lot of time for Chelsea. Their approach when it comes to actually blooding and integrating their own players, and I can argue in the same way that Man City does as well, it's just really bad. It's just, there's, n- there's not even the, the, the foundation of patience at that club. Because you look at Abraham, goes out on loan now to Swansea. That's not terrible, I would say. But there's talk that Christensen hasn't convinced Conte. And it's like, well, he's been on loan at Gladbach for two seasons. And you just think there's got to be some tipping point where these guys actually get given a chance. But I, I just don't see it. Yeah, you know, with the loaning of uh, Kurt Zuma to Stoke as well is another example of a young player that was really good before an injury at Chelsea and then seemed to have massively fallen out of favour. You know, the signing... Mark and Ruben Loftus cheek to to Crystal exactly. Palace. Two I think he's an exceptionally there. talented, you know, central midfielder that could have done a job for them. It just seems a bit, a bit a strange policy, you know, given that they won back to back UEFA youth leagues. It just seems a bit crazy. But anyway, moving on to other crazy teams and some crazy bids. Liverpool reportedly bid sixty six million pounds for Kieta this weekend. Kieta, obviously a wonderful player. Nico is a big, big fan. But I want to talk about the incident today in the uh, RB Leipzig uh, training. Um, Diego Demi and Kieta going, uh, not blows, but putting in some two big tackles on each other with Diego Demi um, having to have a scan on a knee after Kieta's challenge. Chris, do you think this is uh, Kieta trying to force his way out the club by just putting his teammates uh, on the the you know the injury list? <laughs> no, I, th- I think if if you watch the whole sequence, basically, uh, Demi, I think I'm saying that right. Demi goes in on him a little bit hard, and if you um, if you watch it, Kate is none too delighted with the tackle. And it's one of those things. It's as old as time. It happens from the amateur levels right up to the pro ranks. You think, right, next time I get a chance, I'm going to stick one on him. And look, bad. I'm I'm not uh, I'm not justifying the challenge. It's a really nasty tackle. Um, and I can see why Demis stayed down for, for quite a while because, you know, it, it was essentially an, a knee-high tackle. Um, and a, I think a scissors tackle at the same time. So he's, you know, he's got some variety in that aspect of his game, I guess, as well. Um, but I, I think I, I think the difficulty with that whole thing is every everything that happens is an interpretation of his transfer status. So 
there's the back and forth between Liverpool and Leipzig where, where Leipzig say in public, uh, you know, we're, we're not looking to do a deal and behind the scenes they're clearly having some kind of negotiation or discussion. And then even this, like, it, I don't think it's that. I think it's just a player who was a little bit probably peed off that uh, that his teammate decided to stick one on him. And so he, he thought, you know what, I'll just wait until the next chance comes up and do the same to you. <laughs> Diego Demi again a very tenacious player in the season only Thiago recovered more ball in the opposition's half through interceptions than tackles and Diego Demi again a very underrated player a player that if you were in European football at the top level you need a ball winner you need a Catuso type player Diego Demi is that would be a great acquisition for any side in other Liverpool news uh, Virgil van Dijk has um, you know appeared to not go on the pre-season tour I do believe or didn't get on the plane should we say Nico, you've said before that you don't think that he'll solve Liverpool's defensive problems. Are you still under that impression? Do you think he's worth £70 million? Pounds? No. Um, I mean, just because I don't think he'll solve Liverpool's problems doesn't mean I don't think that he would be a bad purchase if they did get him. I think the the rhetoric and the conversation around the players' fees is something that I don't think a whole... A lot of people speak with a whole degree of clarity. I mean, a, a team pays for a player because they want the player, and and the play the sort of the fee is not really the player's fault, or really even the club's fault. I mean, you kind of pay within certain markets, and the buyer, who the buyer is, is also largely dependent on how big the fee is. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. I think Virgil Van Dijk is an exceptional uh, center back. I think he could do a, a really good job for Liverpool. But at the same time, I just don't. I, I think the way that Liverpool organize themselves defensively is, you know, Virgil Van Dijk coming in isn't going to solve um, any major problems that they have. But you know. Oh well, poor old Lawrence McKenna got to deliver a package. And Virgil van Dijk isn't going to make Liverpool win the Premier League. But moving on to other crazy spending. I think this is a nice way to move on to Pep Guardiola's Manchester City. How much money has Pep Guardiola spent on defenders since joining the club? Nico, or should we say defenders and goalkeepers? Got a guess? Something like, uh, someone, something like 300 million, something like that, right? Hmm. £309.6 million on just defenders alone and he's still having that problem. This is what I'll say. (coughs) Excuse me. A lot of people are pointing to the to the amount of spending that Manchester City um, and, you know, Manchester City under Pep Guardiola have made um, with all these defensive signings, Aderson, Mendy, Danilo, and Kyle Walker now. Um, and all, so all these players, you know, coming in and, and supposedly solving these defensive problems. And I, I think they are necessary signings, and I'm glad to see them at the club. I'm excited for someone like Benjamin Mendy. I'm excited for someone like Kyle Walker because I think they're, like I said, I think they're necessary signings. But at the same time, a lot of these signings coming in at the same time fall down to extremely poor mismanagement by Manchester City as a club um, in sort of their signings over the past few seasons. I think Eliakim Mangala, um, Fabian Delft to some extent, Fernando Reyes, uh, a lot of these players, even Bakary Sanya, are stopgap players that were the club was sort of waiting for a direction on. I, I don't think that they were fully aware or they weren't 100% secure in the idea that they were getting Pep Guardiola, so they didn't really know whether to buy Pep Guardiola players yet because even if Mangala had come good, I, I don't think there's a there's a reality where he plays under Pep Guardiola because he doesn't have the attributes to succeed under him or refill, fulfill his requirements as a center back. So I think there are some bad decisions made by the club on top of the fact that we've seen three center backs or sorry, three fullbacks signed this summer in Mendy, Walker and Danilo. 
the club released all of their senior fullbacks, bar Kolarov, who's now been sold to Roma, a few days after this season ended. That's extremely, you know, poor squad management from the club. They had all of our senior fullbacks were over the age of 31 or 32 by the time the season ended. There's really no efficient club model that operates in in the sense that all of your fullbacks, a, a position that requires a lot of athleticism, a, you know, a, a lot of, you know, youth within that position. There's no efficient club model that operates in the way that allows all of the players in that position to get to that age at the same time. So while, yes, Pep Guardiola is spending a ton of money and you can make the argument that, you know, the, the age old argument that Guardiola only succeeds with co- players of exceptional quality, it is also like I said, really poor squad management from Manchester City to allow the defensive side of the squad to, to become this old all at the same time. A famous man once did say, Manchester City have got rubbish fullbacks. <laughs> <laughs> but did he do a video on it? <laughs> maybe, might have done a video in the past, but it just seems like it's it's a weird one. We're watching some, I, don't know, I was watching Everton City um, last week or the week before, and the, the, the hole at fullback was just ridiculous in their formation. How they lacked someone like Benjamin Mendy or Carl Walker in that final third was ridiculous. But anyway, Manchester City did in fact play Manchester United in the first derby ever not played on British soil. United winning two goals to nil, Lukaku scoring, and of course, Marcus Rashford, who's been in scintillating form in pre-season. But on the subject of fullbacks, again, I wasn't impressed by Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola's use of Carl Walker again coming into midfield and making a sort of 3-2 formation in the build-up for me is just completely wrong in modern football. I don't like his, his methodology about isolating wings 1v1 with a fullback. I think the 2v1 is the kind of way you've got to go with these fullbacks pushing on. Chris, you watched the game. Were you impressed with Carl Walker? Or do you think he played well? Do you think Mendy's going to give the side uh, a different element on that left-hand side? Um... It's, it was a difficult one. I felt sorry for him a little bit because he's playing. He was playing in a team that, to me, seems a little bit of a hodgepodge mix of players that actually have a future and players that most definitely don't. I think purely from an individual standpoint, yes, I thought there were elements of him that showed why they bought him. Uh, was it the kind of polished performance I was expecting? Probably not. But it's his first game. He's clearly still feeling his surroundings out, so it's not enough to worry about, I think, at this point. Yeah, I think it's I think it hopefully Guardiola will, you know, use him not hopefully for United fans, but hopefully as a football fan, I want to see Guardiola use him as a Danny Alves type player that opens up the width on the right hand side and then the right attacker can play a little bit narrow, which would suit the likes of um Gabriel Jesus, which would suit Raheem Sterling. But moving on to other issues, Edison, another Manchester City goalkeeper, brought in at the top of the European game, a fantastic keeper at Benfica, has an absolute stinker, comes off his line and allows Lukaku to score one of his goals, you know, to score a goal against Manchester City. Of course, there's going to be more this season. Lukaku will score against City. But what do you think about the the positioning of Edison in the goal? Do you think he was right to come off his line, Nico? Was it a bad decision? 
Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't really put that much stock in, into the preseason friendly. I, yeah, it was, you know, it was a brilliant pass from whoever made of it to you'd Lukaku. Say that, and it, you lost, didn't you, Nico? <laughs> and it was a fantastic finish by Lukaku, and I think he'll do exceptionally well at Manchester United. He's the, he's a really good fit for them. You know, although we talked about Murata in the past, I think Lukaku is is any team's dream striker really at this point. Um, but you know, just to. I think Ederson's going to do exceptionally well at Manchester City. I think he's a really talented goalkeeper from what I've seen of him. Um, but, it, you know, like Chris mentioned, it wasn't really... It was weird to, to kind of see the two squads matched up next to each other at the beginning, at least, and even towards the end, because you had a hodgepodge mix of Tosin Adebay, Rio, I don't really know how to say his name, Phil Foden, um, you know, Roberts, and Nasri and Ali Kim Mangala, who there was, there were some players in there who were trying to, you know, feel out to see if they have a future at Manchester City and then you just have the Manchester United squad who probably all those players would be starters if not consistent starters throughout the season so it was a bit weird to see those two teams matched up but I I wouldn't put any stock into the positioning and and the non-saves that he made throughout that game I think it was just a a, a training session for Manchester City Mm. That's what you call it, a 2-0 defeat in the Manchester derby. The first ever played <coughs> away from Great Britain, which means United are champions of the world in Manchester derbies outside of the UK, which is interesting. But it, let's touch on um, a player that you mentioned there. Chris, you were very impressed with uh, Phil Foden. I was going to call him Ben before, because I don't know why, but Ben Foden's <laughs> in my head. <laughs> but how did you think Ben played um, against the mighty Manchester United? Uh, I thought he, sh- he showed a lot of nice little touches, little knee touches. I mean, Guardiola raved after him uh, about him afterwards, I think, and, and seemed really uh, high on him, which, again, he's seen a lot more of him than I have and, and knows a lot more. That definitely should have been my first point. Um, so it, it's it's certainly exciting if I'm a City fan. As I said on Twitter, he, he reminded me of a slightly of Jack Wilshire in the way that he received the ball and anticipated things. Um for me, guys like him and Brahim Diaz, it's been difficult for City because they want to bring youth in and they've invested a lot. And with that investment also needs to be an investment of patience. I feel like the the Foden and, and Diaz, those two specifically, as the two that I've probably seen the most, there probably is others that, that Man City fans could, could articulate better than I can. They're the best two examples I've seen of players that could genuinely come in and should come in in the next sort of what, maybe 18 months, 24 months, and actually contribute for City because the the notion of just having a good academy can't exist in isolation without actual uh, beneficiaries of, of that system forever. There, there comes a point where you actually have to start having players that, that come through. And maybe that's why Guardiola is so excited because this is a, a kid who is, I think, Stockport born and raised, so in the shadow of Manchester. Um, it's where all City fans are from, Chris. Yeah, so so still, so still kind of heavily linked to the club, you know, not uh, not someone that uh, has to really learn about it because he's been born and raised on it, and I think he's a city fan as well. So all those little things, as inconsequential as they sound, actually make him uh, an even brighter prospect. Nico, what were your thoughts on Foden's performance? And do you think he will be integrated into the side when City have all the big ones back? When the likes of Silva, De Bruyne with Yaya Torian behind, is there a place in midfield for him or is he going to play wide? You know, I hope, like Chris said, it's not just about having, and people claiming that you have a good academy. It's about bringing those talents from the, from the youth and from the setup into the fold and, 
making them mature, uh, you know, adult footballers. And that's something that I think a lot of Manchester City fans have been wanting for a long time is to really be proud of someone that uh, you feel has grown up with the club. Phil Foden, I, I had, that was the, really the first I've seen of him. I was impressed. Uh, the things that I were that I wasn't impressed about was sort of his off-ball actions. He looked really lost and uh, lost in some of the pressing actions. Players had to tell him where to go, but on the ball he looked like an exceptional young player. The difficulty with that is that with the way that City Football Group is sort of structuring sort of the future, not only of Manchester City but you know the the bigger picture of being like the first global club, is that they wanna they want to have a I believe they want to have a club on every continent, if not more. And so with that. I think if the if the transfer with Danny Alves would have happened, then we would have seen you know so more more integration of that sort of. Um, so Danny Alves probably would have played a year for Manchester City, and then probably would have gone to gone to NYCFC. Similarly, we're seeing a lot of young Manchester City Academy youth products go to Girona, which is a, a Spanish club that Manchester City or a City Football Group want want to acquire as part of the City Football Group. And so we see Alex Garcia, Pablo Maffeo, possibly Phil Foden, Jason Denaye, all these guys going to a smaller club on loan to to you know further develop themselves. But you can only you know have so much experience and translate that to a Pep Guardiola first team if you're going away to to Spain to to further accentuate your your best qualities. So it's a little worrying, but I, I you know I trust the City Football Group in their process to develop these young players. But I would like to see you know instead of buying maybe another fullback, I would have liked to see, to have seen Maffeo been given the the backup role under Guardiola. I would have liked to see maybe uh, Phil Foden be a part of this year's squad. Alex Garcia was a part of the squad last year, and it looks like he's being sent on loan to Girona as well. So. Like Chris mentioned, it's not just about having those players. It's about developing them and making them part of the first team as a more permanent, you know, fixture. And, and that's really what it's all about. And hopefully, this these alone moves lead towards that. Well, as you mentioned, Pep Guardiola had uh, you know a few words about him, or no words, should I say? He spoke after the the game. Uh, I don't have any words. I'd like to have the right words to describe what I saw. It's been a long time since I saw something like this. Obviously, very impressed with Foden's performance. But again, Chris, I want to want to move this on to maybe discussion on European football and when clubs do this. When clubs like Manchester City loan loads of players to uh, Girona that they could play in the Champions League. Is this a right approach? We've seen it happen at Udinese with Watford, with the Pozzoni family. We've also seen that with Chelsea. Um, you know, a number of their players, uh, Mason Mount joining Vitesse Arnhem and loan. Um, is this the right thing for European football that clubs sort of have a network of different clubs that they kind of own? Or is it just completely ruining the competitive edge of this great sort of continent that we've created? Uh, I think I think if you're... If you're CFG, then it's 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 ideal because not only does it allow you a, a, a sort of development structure to put a player like Girona if that deal goes through, or you know you got NYCFC with Yangel Herrera, for example. I also think it gives you a foothold in that market, which it, I'm not talking strictly business here in terms of marketing and all. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. All that kind of stuff. It means that when there's a player that crops up in that region, you've got someone theoretically who knows that place well, so can give you a competitive edge over someone like Manchester United, for example, who, who don't own a club in Spain or New York or Australia or Japan. My concern is how do you maintain sporting integrity um, for all of those clubs? Um you could form an argument, well, Vitesse are never going to have the kind of uh, achievements or, or anything like that that, that Chelsea are going to have. That's very fair. But at the same time, is that because of their partnership with Chelsea? Does that partnership actually inhibit them from growing any bigger than, than what they are now because of it? Because they can't sign players or they don't see the need, sorry, to sign two central midfielders because they've got Mason Mount and, and Charlie Colkey coming and, and uh, a young defender whose name escapes me. So that's my concern is that it, it inhibits the further growth because if you're sustainable, if you're able to keep ticking over, why do you need to, to be ambitious? That is it's kind of the problem. It's like Manchester United do have relationships or did in the past. For example, Royal Antwerp, they sent a number of players there. You know, you're thinking... A lot of the lads that played in Ferguson's teams during the you know, the 2000s and the, the 90s went to Royal Antwerp and played there. But that was like a good relationship, I think, where there was a lot of, you know, a partnership with coaches and so forth. It just seems this, this city model of acquiring all these clubs and different, you know, continents is... It just seems a bit odd to me. It seems a bit strange where their focus should be on Manchester City and developing Manchester City, but it is on NYCF. I don't, I, Nico, what do you think? Way into this conversation, because obviously... You're supportive of what you know Ma- Manchester City are doing globally. Is this the mm. right thing to do, though? Is this, as Chris mentioned, I mean, it's kind of it's like like it, yeah, Leipzig. But, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, that's what I was like about Salzburg. to say. Is that it's it's what you define as right? I mean, yeah, there is a there is an element of like ethics and you know morality within this. That you know, what is the right thing to do? Are are RB Leipzig doing the right thing by owning several clubs that may play in the same competition? But I think from a marketing perspective and like doing being the most efficient, and being the most efficient football owning group in the world this is the most efficient thing you can do because like the points that chris mentioned there's all the advantages to having clubs in different um, parts of the world but also i think the wider image for city football group is having sort of the first really integrated eyes on the ground global scouting network you know when you have dedicated people that are in brazil in south america in north america in australia asia everywhere then you can draw players from all corners of the globe to make to make it in you know to your first team at manchester city i think that's always going to be sort of the 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 final like portal the final frontier for the best of the best players that are part of the city football group to to eventually arrive at because the premier league i think for the foreseeable future will be the 
you know, whether you believe it's the best league in the world or not is subjective, but it, I think it will be the most watched league in the world because it simply has the most money. They've, they've got sort of, they, they've jumped the gun a little bit. So I, I, whether it's right or not is not for me to say. I'm more than happy to support it because it's my football club, but I, I don't necessarily think there's a whole uh, lot wrong with it, really. But Nico, after Brexit, you won't be able to sign any of these players anyway. They're going to come an <laughs> island and we're going to build the walls back around. It's going to be like the... What's the, the Hadrian's Wall? Just the whole round the UK. But talking about players that would survive Brexit and potentially would survive Brexit and then be able to be Manchester United captain, Marcus Rashford absolutely starred against Manchester City, scored a cracking goal coming off the right wing, again showing his flexibility, his tactical awareness to play on the left, but then be switched over to the right during the game and scoring a cracking goal. Marcus Rashford, for me, has come back after this uh, When Kyle Walker was absolutely dominating him, yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Dominating when, you know, he was drifting on the the other wing. See, that's his fluidity and his beauty. (laughs) He's come back, putting on a lot of strength, a lot of muscle. Chris? He looks a unit, doesn't he? That's the question. Is is this going to take his game to the next level? Is this like a Ronaldo-esque summer? Oh, that's a good comparison. I like that. Um, It was definitely interesting because there was an instance in the the City game where he, he... Mangala was doing his best to kind of just grab a hold of him and he was having absolute none of it and you look at kind of how wiry he was when he came through um, I like that he's not lost any pace because one of the things I look back on now with Emil Heskey is he lost speed when he gained muscle and it drastically changed the way he performed and the way he could play because before that he was a bit like Rashford is now he was power and pace which is whoa, a nightmare to deal with um, so Ronaldo it's a very good comparison and unfortunately a lot of people will take it as a far more bold one than I think it's intended as I think it will give him a great new dimension when it comes to playing because obviously I spoke to uh, his youth coach Paul McGuinness and, and they talked about changing him from a number 10 to a number 9 and I think giving him that muscle will allow him to do that because I think unfortunately for him being a youth product not costing 70 million like Lukaku 50 million like uh, Martial he's, he's going to find himself in, in that difficult position of there not being that much financial investment so he has to really prove himself he has to work twice as hard for, for half the opportunity sometimes and I think when you can be that versatile as a player and play out wide and still cause trouble or sit in the middle and be that number nine when they need him. That's going to serve him in such great stead for the next sort of 12, 18 months. Completely agree. Couldn't agree more. I really think that he's taken his chance uh, at Manchester United, you know, coming from a youth product to scoring against Michelin to this year to starring, honestly, carrying United on his back at the back end of the Europa League um, campaign. Absolutely fantastic performance in the quarterfinal, the semi-final and of course the final as well. It just it, It's so fresh to see a, a player that's come through your own academy and, and be playing for your football club does have the power and does have that pace. Another guy that has the power and the pace and scored against Manchester City is Romelu Lukaku who for me had a very very good game against Manchester City thought he played very well there but was very very poor against Real Madrid which we'll talk about a little bit later on. But do you think this is the perfect guy for Mourinho's Manchester United, Nico, for this next season? Is he the guy that's going to take Zlatan's goal-scoring mantle and take United to that next level? He's not going to miss the big chances. He's going to put the ball in the back of the net. Is that the feeling you're going to get with Lukaku? I don't think it necessarily elevates to the level that maybe people are, are describing. Because I think, although, yes, 
in some scenarios, Laton did miss some big challenges. He still did finish pretty pretty well for Manchester United last season. So I don't think there's going to be a huge amount of difference in in sort of the, the, the finishing there. It's not like he's going to, you know, although he did score a, a lot of goals this season for Everton, I don't think he's, you know, he's going to increase his his goal tally by that much. And, and that's going to make that much of a difference for Manchester United. I think the real difference comes with the, the signings that Mourinho has made allows him to be a little bit more daring in his offensive actions, you know, because he's, he can be a little bit more comfortable in his tactics. He knows that certain players, since he's built a relationship with them now for a year now, and then having players in certain certain positions that he trusts, he can go forward a little bit more. And I think that's the key for Manchester United. It's not, you know, scoring goals on the counterattack or the traditional Mourinho way. It's more about those games where they're going to have to dominate possession, have to create chances um, via possession that that Mourinho is going to have to be a little bit more inventive with the way he does that. And Lukaku will do well to finish those ch- those chances, you know, building that relationship with with Paul Pogba, building a relationship with Henrik Mkhitaryan, building a crossing relationship with some of the, the fullbacks or the wide players is going to be essential to that. But it's also going to fall, in my opinion, Manchester United moving up the table is going to fall down to Mourinho being more inventive in the ways that he beats teams that he's expected to beat. Um, and, and, you know, in situations where Manchester United is given the onus. Interesting you say that, Nico, because I know a guy that did a video on a new formation for Manchester United <laughs> that could be a good way to, be, to beat these weaker sides. Who's that, Dave? Who, who did the video? Star, star, star. Is that man, man Steve? I was going to try and make a terrible joke about some rival, but I realised Dave genuinely has no rivals in this. He's, his USP is exactly what he does. <laughs> There is no he's, other he's, guy he's, that does technical analysis on YouTube. Much, much, much like, much like many things within Dave's life, he's he's a winner by default. So, stone <laughs> oh, cold. Nico, I thought you don't you write about tactics, though. I do, I do, yeah, but I'm not. Shame a you've not got a YouTube not channel. A <laughs> That's a dig at Nico because he told me at the start of the summer that he was going to launch a YouTube channel, and we are in. We're July the 24th, and Nico, we've not seen any of your great work yet. Dave, just wait on it, all right? Just wait on it. <laughs> but yeah, if you want to check it out, 352, basically go into detail. Um, it's 16 minutes long, it's a lot of fun, but in uh, in simple terms, a 352 for United at home would make a lot of sense in terms of what they do. You know, teams come to United, they all have the same game plan. After Louis van Gaal's tenure, um, if you go to United and you sit deep and you block off the space and you let teams cross, obviously you play with big centre-halves, it's a simple way to beat United. You counter-attack down the flanks. What a 3-5-2 would give United is a great platform out the back to, to build up. You think of Lindelof, fantastic on the ball. Bay, very good on the ball. You, you know, combine that with a 2 and Zabi or a, a Blind. It's a great platform. Then you think in the 3-5-2 the wouldn't be a 3-5-2. It'd be more um, as Conte's dream as a 3-3-4, where in fact your two wing-backs would pretty much... Uh, you know, Y players, pretty much wingers. So it makes a lot of sense. And if you want to find out more, um, you know, obviously go over to my YouTube channel, Snapman Dave, uh, to check it out. But it, it's, it's a very interesting concept. The United could be moving to this. And also, the biggest thing, the biggest thing of it all is that you could play Lukaku with, with Rashford, or you could play Lukaku with Martial, or you could play Martial and Rashford, or you could play Rashford with Mata, or you can play Rashford with, you know, uh, Jess Lingard. And there's, that's, you know, that's quick be quick saying like a number of the combinations but think about the differences in quality that you have there you play with for example Rashford and uh, Lukaku you've got that power and pace you play with Lingard 
and Rashford, you've got that defensive work rate of Jess Lingard. You play with Mata and Rashford, you've got a player that can drop into midfield and you could pretty much play a 3-6-1. I think it's got so much variation and I really want to see United focus on that. But anyway, mo- moving on to the uh, Real Madrid game, United uh, winning on penalties. A pretty drab game, um, in my personal opinion. Um, the penalty shootout you know, going United's way, but out of the 10 penalties, I think three of them were scored or something terrible like that. But Martial got the, the headlines with the, the wonderful run um, from the left wing. Kristen... Do you think Martial can kick on now? It's the consistency that's been the issue. But we've seen these moments of real quality again, um, you know, against one of the best right-backs in world football in Carvajal. Nico kind of dug himself into a bit of a hole, saying, <laughs> tweeting some absolute rubbish. You know, don't follow Nico on Twitter. That's Nico underscore Omarales. He's just absolute terrible. The guy that you should be following is Kristen Hennage. That's K Hennage on Twitter. But Kristen... Legend. Martial consistency is this going to be the consistent year? Well, let's no, let's rephrase that. Is he going to have another consistent year like his first year at Manchester United? I really hope so, but I think at the same time this goes back to what we said about Chelsea in so much as I think Man United have to put real faith in him and let him kind of just let him ride through the the difficulties if you will because for me, yeah, he, he's not consistent. Of course he's not. He's also very young. And and at the same time, you look at that moment he has against Real Madrid. I don't know how many players can do that in the world. Genuinely. Like the, the speed of movement, all that kind of thing. It was a great example of you don't need tricks to beat a man. If you can move your feet quick enough, you can bamboozle anybody. And I think... It just needs a show of faith. That's the problem is that with these clubs, because everything is looked at, at least in terms of like the next 12 months, you know, we have to win the league this year. We have to win the Champions League this year. It means that it means that you've got no real opportunity to like grow a player properly and, and have them have them hit a bump and get over it. Because if it doesn't work, you look at Memphis, for example, if it doesn't work, right, let's ship him out. We'll put that well, it's not a buyback, but you put that first refusal in just in case. But then you think, well, you know, surely there's a benefit in, in letting someone develop at your club because then you get a more horned product. You know, you, you follow the bend in the road. You don't just try and uh, and ship ship things off. I couldn't agree more. I think it's that, that long-sightedness that we're not really seeing at football clubs at the moment, especially Memphis Depay is a great example of a player that came with exceptional talent. His confidence is what killed him. He became a little bit one-dimensional. I don't feel Louis van Gaal's system really got the best out of him. Uh, and Martial's that kind of that guy. You know, it wasn't like you mentioned. It wasn't a trick. It was a. It was basically your Andres Iniesta move. You know, you shifting it really quickly from a left foot to right foot. So simple the move and so easy. Nico, do you think it was a bit lucky the run, or do you think that he made the best out of the situation that he had in that split second that got Martial through to cross the ball for Jess Lingard? What I'll say is this. I think the, the, the run was a little bit lucky, but I've always admired the, the talents of Martial because I, I, you know, I've talked about before, maybe on your podcast and, and my podcast and definitely the front three is sort of the differences within dribbling style. You know, you have someone like Raheem Sterling, who's really heavily dependent on his pace. Um, he doesn't necessarily have the greatest touch in the world. Um, and and like I said, you. <laughs> and and really really utilizes his pace to get around players a lot of the time. But then you have these fearsome dribblers like Leroy Sané and Anthony Martial, who they, they they almost completely dribble with like the full extent of their legs is how I imagine it. Which is they have an incredibly 
close control, but at the same time, they're moving so quickly. And so when they are in a tight space, they can still keep the ball really, really close to their feet, which is incredibly dangerous in the box because defenders have to be careful with the tackles they make. They can't be as, you know, risky in, in how they stick their leg out in, in avoiding those challenges. So obviously he's a player of immense quality. And I think a lot of people, whether you're a Manchester United fan or not, want to see the further production of Anthony Martial because he's an exceptionally talented footballer. I think what would be really nice is to see Martial playing in a 3-5-2 as a wing-back um, against his weaker sides at home. He, we did so As a wing-back. So United yeah. did play this against Bournemouth, I think, at home. Maybe Bournemouth. Well, basically, oh, maybe it's Stoke. Well, United basically were one 0 down, and they scored two goals in the last ten minutes. And they did switch to this three three four formation where they were playing Martial, um, Rashford, Zlatan, and then somebody else as like a front four, and then three at the back. So maybe that could be a, a, a you know a, a variant because he won't be doing much defending. I think that's what we see at, Manchester, at Old Trafford that United don't defend that much at Old Trafford when they play smaller sides. So maybe it's, it's it could be a very good option to get both uh, no sorry all three of them all the three guys in the same side that's Martial Rashford and Lukaku um, but in terms of moving on to other young players Fosu Mensa played quite well uh, Andres Pereira had a very good game Scott McTominay nearly created a, created a goal for Maron Fellaini who fired over from about seven yards out but in terms of the player that's really impressed me in pre-season for Manchester United it's been Henrik Mkhitaryan um, scoring against LA Galaxy grabbing a goal and an assist against Real Salt Lake and an assist against City I think he's going to be the breakout star for Manchester United this season. And when he's in full flow, he's probably one of my favourite players to watch in European football. In terms of his, you know, it took him a while to get adjusted to Dortmund. Chris, you think this is the time that Mkhitaryan is going to finally shine and get enough minutes? I think that's a big thing with the United attackers. None of them played over 2,000 minutes in the Premier League. Is Mkhitaryan going to be that guy for Mourinho? I'd like to think so. I thought against City, I mean, again, I know you can't read too much into it because it was just a friendly. I thought that uh, that attacking line looked pretty decent, actually. I quite liked it. Um, with with that said, again, I mean, this is the thing. When you've got that many players, it's probably hard for anyone to establish consistency, really, because it's, it's chopped and changed if it doesn't work. Um, and I do wonder sometimes if if this money means that you can harvest so much talent that it's it's hard to to breed consistency for players because you know that if you don't perform, there's a very good chance that someone will uh, will come in and, and take your spot for a game or a few games or whatever. Um, and it can take five, six games, I think, to really build up momentum as a player. I do like him, though. I think that he's a very smart midfielder, which I think Man United do have some of them. You look at Mata... Um, I think Carrera is slightly underrated as a passer. Pogba, when he actually gets a chance, is a very good passer of the ball. Having just recently gone back and watched some of his his Juventus games, um, there was a derby against Torino that oh, springs yeah. to mind. That game, blew, oh my god! Um, I think he was it. Maratari sale. Yeah, it was, that, was chi- that chip over. No, it was. He basically like chopped inside, beat a guy twice, yeah. and then played that ball. Oh, it was just unbelievable. That that game it, it really did kind of highlight his his potential as a as a deeper sort of playmakery type. But then saying that you know on a slight tangent, you've got Andreas Pereira in there as well, who I think plays very similar to Pogba in terms of what he gives you. And you think, well, where does he fit in? And so Mkhitaryan will have to go in because he costs a lot of money and he's a senior player. But the, for me, the squad balance of Manchester United, I think, needs a bit of work. I think 
I think you've got the block of wood or, or whichever material you want to use in this analogy, but it needs a bit of whittling now. It needs a bit of shaping and then some players need to go out on loan, some need to be sold. I think in general, actually, I think there's a lot of clubs in the Premier League with really bloated squads. Yeah, the squad size is far too big. I couldn't agree more. I think it's the first 11 that Mourinho needs to lock down. Who is in that first 11? And then stick with that more than, than not, more than rotating, you know, give the likes of Lukaku to build a relationship with Pogba and so forth it's just an interesting one United are going to be fascinating United could easily come sixth again I could easily see that happening if, if you know the chances don't go their way they don't beat these sides at home if they don't play a 3-5-2 it's just absolutely brilliant I mean the Premier League's going to be great another ex-United player moving around the Premier League Javier Hernandez has come back to the Premier League I'm so happy to see him but joining West Ham United Nico you were on Twitter Actually, this week, slating West Ham United, saying their signings have been absolutely rubbish. Can you explain yourself? I think it was a bit harsh at the moment because I there there are some moves that this summer that have been reported completed, and I haven't necessarily been keeping up with them extremely closely, especially the likes of West Ham. Jesus, um, Nico. I was, but, I, but I was about I, to invite you to the podcast, to the Slap Monday football, <laughs> and, you, and you haven't been keeping track of West Ham. I've been, I've been keeping up, but you know, West Ham isn't at the top of my, uh, top of my, top of my list. But I, I think Javier Hernandez is is a good signing for West Ham. I, I think there's a lot of elements of that team that they've been missing for a long time, sort of depending on Andy, Andy Carroll when he can't get much more than than maybe a quarter of a season in now with all his injuries is is an interesting. Um, you know, sort of game plan to follow. But, you know, having a consistent striker, having a consistent right back, although it, you know, very well might be Pablo Zabaleta, is interesting moves for West Ham. I just, I really could see them struggling because as, as you've noted many times, Slavin Bilic is not the greatest manager. He was benefited from a great deal of luck in that first season. Um, and and I, I really, if they do stick with him, which it looks like they will for some considerable amount of time, then I could really see West Ham struggling. You know, I, I like West Ham. I like what they, 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 you know, they bring to the east end of London. But me and Slavin Bilic, we've had our, our pass and I just can't wait for him to fail and get sacked, to be quite honest. Uh, Chris, <laughs> why, why do you think, uh, you know, another major team didn't, didn't take a gamble on Javier Hernandez? A born goal scorer. Because he's, he's 29, for starters. Still, 29 yeah. is where got some goal scorers really hit their peak. Javier Hernandez could have a 40-goal season. Chris, don't don't forget the fact that Dave says uh, big big men goal scorers hit their peak at age 34. That's a direct quote from Dave on the, the podcast Statistically last <laughs> It's statistically proven that fact, actually, Nico. Thirty. Um, I think. I think honestly. See, I got a lot of very angry West Ham fans on my time over this. So <laughs> oh, I'm, so I'm, you I'm, as well? You as well? I'm 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 you both are bad guys. You know, I like West Ham. I like what West Ham. Listen to this, West Ham fans. I like you. I just don't like your manager. I might be about to open that door again. Um, the players they've signed, Joe Hart, Zabaleta, all this kind of thing. Yes, they may be very good this season. They, they may be very good this season. The long-term commitment that they have put into those players, including Arnautovic, scares me, though. Because Arnautovic, for example, is 28. I think he's 29 in about six 28? months. Yeah, he's not. He's not. Let me just triple check this, because I don't want to go on this round if I'm incredibly wrong. Oh, or this this line of, of thought. Yeah, so he's 28. In about, uh, okay, April. So yeah, he's, he's, he's recently 28. So in about two years, 
he'll be uh, 30, give or take. And they've signed him to, I believe, a £90,000 a week deal for five years. That is a huge commitment for a player that theoretically will give you two years of, of solid production and then just through the laws of nature will slowly decline physically. He's not going to get, in my opinion, better as he hits over 30. In the same way that Hernandez is not going to get better as he hits over 30. Joe Hart as a goalkeeper may. We have seen a consistent line of goalkeepers that have become better with age because of their experience, decision-making, etc. Zabaleta, again, yes, you need a right-back, but where's the long-term vision for that? And that's the thing. I think people look at it and you say, OK, we've got Arnautovic, we've got Hernandez, Joe Hart, big players from big clubs, right? That genuinely means nothing. I watched Newcastle sign Damien Duff and Scott Parker and all these players that came from Chelsea and Man United, Nicky Butts and all this. And for the most part, they were largely useless because they'd had the best years. There was a reason those clubs were selling them because they knew they weren't at their peak anymore and they were about to, to decline. And that's the thing I have with West Ham is that, you know... It's funny because the guy I got into an argument with, he's one of these people on those fan channels. He's like one of the regular people. And he he tried to convince me that the West Ham way was a construct by media people like myself. I mean, the the way he instigated the conversation was calling me a parasite, but that's by the by. (laughs) The The point I was making, though, is that West Ham, whether it was through Allardyce or whether it was earlier, hint, it came a lot earlier than Allardyce, despite what was claimed. West Ham has often, when it's been at its best, had some influence from the academy. Ferdinand Lampard in in the the late 90s when they finished fifth. Uh, The team of 66 that still was around Upton Park on the billboards and all that stuff. I don't see those pathways now because David's uh, Gold or Sullivan, whichever one it was, the the one with white hair and a beard, said that there's no pathway to the first team for, for players at West Ham. So... The fact that Reese Oxford goes to Gladbach is really quite damning for West Ham because they seem to see more potential in him right now than West Ham do. And this thing about, well, he'll go away and he'll come back and all this stuff, that means nothing. That's That that really is, is no guarantee of success. They should be able to develop at your club. And the way that West Ham have shopped, I would say going on three, four years now, has been a lot of brand name shopping. It's players from big clubs or who have big names, but actually there's no guarantee they fit into what's being tried to done, trying to be done, or even consideration for how they fit in the team tactically. Some fair points there, because I think the big one as well is like you look at Anatovic, he scored seven goals in the Premier League last season. Sorry, he scored seven goals in all competitions in 35 games. You know, for for that type of money, for 25 million, you, you want more than that. You know, Stoke signed it for two million pounds. They've made a twenty-three million pound profit on Nantovich, which is great business for Stoke. Stoke seems to yeah. be run in a very interesting way, and it seems like they've they've you know they've taken a gamble on a few players, and this one has paid off. You know, this is paid paid for Bojan, this is paid for Shakiri in a way. So it's it's really interesting progress for a team um, you know like Stoke, like West Ham. It's going to be a really interesting summer. One player though that seems to be not staying at his club. What, sorry, one one thing as well though about. Uh... Arnautovic, there's a reason they got him for two million because his attitude stunk. Like he was a bad egg to have still around. Still stinks. Still yeah, stinks. it's it's still pretty. It, it's, yeah, that's fair. It's still pretty questionable. So put twenty five million on a player that again has that kind of attitude. It's just such a needless risk. 
Okay, so we can tr- we can still transition. We'll transition again. Someone that has been called to have a bad attitude in the past is Ross Barkley by various managers. Koeman, um at the start of last season really giving him an, an ear bashing. I want to get both your opinion on where do you think is the best club for Ross Barkley for the next season? Nico, you go I think, first. Yeah, I think that's sort of the, the same question. The, the question that you have to answer before that is... Where does where's Ross Barkley's best position position on the field? And I think there's an obsession with specifically people of English descent because they you know they they want to see an English player do well in the Premier League. They want to see him be in the same conversation as as those great players that w- that we see from foreign countries coming into the Premier League. And I think there's a such a dire want to make Ross Barkley into this number ten that we've seen him do. We've seen him do some great things. <clears throat> excuse me. We've seen him do some great things for in the past and sort of in that role in that number ten role. And then I think we've also seen his career stagnate a little bit because he's been put in that role for far too long. I think he there are people out there, some other tactical analysis, some some statisticians, some data analytics guys that have made the point that I think is a valid one that Ross Barkley would do might do a much better job in a more traditional central midfielder role a little bit deeper, sort of maybe in. Maybe in the mold. Listen, listen to me for a second. <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe, maybe in the mold of like a Musa Dembele type player, Honestly. as opposed to putting him into the role of a number ten. Because I don't think there there's so many times that you can become extremely adver- aggravated watching Ross Barkley because he has the ability to make that pass. He has the he has all the qualities to make the pass, but he doesn't seem to be intelligent enough or quick enough in the number ten role to always make the right decisions. There are times where he dances past two, maybe even three players, and then chooses to take, take a shot from thirty five yards. That's simply not. It, we we've seen that consistently now over two, perhaps even three seasons, where he's kind of stagnating in this role. I think it's time to switch it up, and I think if he can make that transition, and there's really no other better coach than Mauricio Pochettino, if he can make that transition, then he would be an asset to to someone like Tottenham and under Ronald Koeman who I don't praise as the best coach I think it would be both in in everybody's best interest if Ross Barkley were to change positions change clubs and go to you know under the guidance of of someone like Mauricio Pochettino so for a player that sometimes makes the wrong decisions in the final third if you play him Mm -hmm. deeper in midfield and he's making Mm -hmm. the wrong decision in deeper midfield you're gonna get well. Coward. No, I, I, well, the the thing is, I, by me saying wrong decisions, I don't mean like. I, I I think the reason that he makes wrong decisions is because he feels like it needs to be some ridiculously brilliant cutting pass in the final third, and that's why he waits so long. And then it's not even necessarily he he gets the ball taken off of him. He just shoots or makes some terrible decision because he's got too much going on. If there's a coach out there that can coach these decisions into these players, the correct decisions in, in into a certain part, and maybe make things a little bit more simplistic, things become a little bit more simplistic, and things become a little bit more obvious deeper in midfield. And he, like I said, he has all the physical attributes to make passes that need to be made in pretty much any corner of the field it's just about coaching him better it's about honing his abilities and i think he can do that when the pressure is taken off of him from being this magnificent number 10 that so many people want him to be i just think i don't think ross barkley should be you know moved away from goal i think he's got he's got a talent that not many players have in world football and to put him deeper would just be silly for me i kind of and what started to annoy me and on you know in english football is how musa dembele is rated as this midfield god 
I think Lucas Dembele is a good player, but he has his he, he he's he's good at breaking things up and bursting past people. Decision making wise, I'd argue that Musa Dembele isn't that great. He dribbles too much. I think that's a, a critique that I'd say of Musa Dembele. I think he makes the wrong decision sometimes, similar to Ross Barkley, but a little bit deeper in on the pitch. I, this whole, you know, the the clip that was going round against PSG, or oh, what a run from Musa Dembele. The amount of times that he should have released that ball, he should have made that pass a lot sooner um, than going through and then get taken out was a little bit silly. But anyway, that's my personal thoughts on, you know, the world. Let's move on to Chris's thoughts on Ross Barkley. What position, what club? Uh, attacking midfield, definitely. Okay. Um... I think you could put him in a three centrally if you're playing away from home. I don't think that is a terrible idea, personally. What club? I mean, Tottenham would be nice, um, but then you have to do something with Ericsson, and I really like Ericsson where he is. I think that's the thing with Barkley. I, I can't help but feel that like, in, in his career right now, it's reached that stage where... He kind of has to, to pick his own arse up for one of the more poetic phrase. I see a lot of kind of performances where really he's the issue and he makes bad decisions or he doesn't do something he should. Um, and, you know, it feels like a long time ago when I watched him, I th- was it? It's a few years ago at St. James's Park. I watched him and, and Martinez said afterwards, you know, he's got shades of uh, Balak and shades of Gascoigne about him, which, you know, was a wonderful headline for a lot of uh, sub-editors that and I'll copy it on news desk editors. But I, th- I think I saw what he meant, but I've not seen it consistently since. Um, and that's my concern with him is that I, I have a, a nasty feeling he's going to be another one of these English players that we looked at when he first burst through after that nasty leg break and said, this kid's amazing. And then we look back and say, just didn't achieve his potential. Just didn't have the right mentality for it. Fair point again. Um, the club, Chris, you said, sorry? Tottenham. 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 Okay, yeah, so got two but Tottenham's. even then I don't feel comfortable about it. So I'm going to I'm gonna propose something to you. I've proposed this before. I think Ross Barkley should be turned into a, a striker. I think you play him on instinct, you play him up front. You let him play on the back line. Strike. You let those moments of brilliance score goals. I think a side that would fit perfectly right now that arguably could do with a striker following Graziano Pella's move to China would be Southampton. I think they have let go Jay Rodriguez. You know, they've got Charlie Austin, but his injury record is terrible. If Southampton could get someone like Ross Barkley to play week in, week out as a striker, I think that could be absolutely perfect. And I think it would be good for Barkley's career in a way where... Everton are moving in a different direction. Southampton have always been this club where there might be something after it, and it could be a perfect platform to go. I agree, Pochettino Spurs would be perfect, but is he going to get into that starting eleven? Absolutely not. What does Rocks Barkley need right now? He needs games, time, he needs minutes on the pitch. So maybe that's another option. But anyway, let's finish off with a bit of Italian football chat. Uh, Juventus have um, signed another player from Fiorentina that seems to happen time and time again. Federico Bernardeschi moving for around 40 million euros. And have you guys uh, seen Bernadeschi play a lot? What are your opinions on him? Do you think he'll be a good fit for Juve? I haven't seen that much of Bernadeschi, but I can definitely comment on Juventus's moves in in the transfer market. I think they're doing a brilliant job of sort of restructuring their team. You know, we, we see this time and time again where big clubs or, you know, even little clubs sell a, a big player, a big part of their team, and then they try to go and and 
replace them like for like and play the same style. That's clearly not what Juventus are doing. They're going with a completely different mantra. You know, they've lost Benucci for whatever reason to AC Milan, and now they're going maybe for a little bit more attack-minded philosophy. And maybe Allegri is yet again evolving in his managerial sort of, um, you know, managerial thought process and and trying to to be more attacking in the way that he plays. You know, they've signed Douglas Costa um, and Bernadeschi, like you said, and, and all these players. And I think I, I'm personally really excited to see what this new Allegri team will be able to do without, you know, not that he held them back, but sort of in a different mold than than the defensively centered Benucci era of Juventus, Benucci, Barzagli and Chiellini and all those guys. I think Juventus is moving themselves on gradually. And I think with all the new attackers, Bernadeschi included, I think they're going to do special things as they always have. Bernadeschi, um, one of only two players to score more than 10 goals in the league, in Europe's top five leagues, with one part of his body. Could you guys name the other guy? Belotti. Mm, Belotti scored 10, not 10 plus, unfortunately. Nika, mm. good, good guess though. That was a very, very good guess. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Chris? Any? Chris is usually good at this stuff. We lose. Can tell you that he's left-footed as well, if that helps. Uh, well, I'm struggling here. I'm not going to lie. One more clue. Go on then. He plays for the club that Bernadeschi is moving to. Uh, Gonzalo Iguain. Nope. Left-footed. Nope. (laughs) You have got to go now. (laughs) We are having a nightmare here. Um, Dybala. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Got there eventually. (laughs) We limped across the line there. We did, most definitely. Where's Dave? Did we lose Dave now? So let's finish off with some chat on Antonio Cassano. Chris, what's happened to poor old Cassano this week? Ah, uh, bless him. He's, he's essentially he's retired from football again. So he he, he joined Hellas Verona, um, who were promoted from Serie B uh, last season. And he initially retired said he wasn't up to it anymore after joining them like he hadn't been with them long like weeks and then decided to unretire and then today it looks like he's retired again after doing some some fitness work and I think maybe realising that he's just not up to the the standard physically that's needed even if if mentally um, he is is totally um, you know able to do it kind of it's a difficult one, this, because, it yes, the, there's a, a sort of funny element, if you will, to the unique nature of the story. But from a very human element, I can't help but feel very sorry for him because I think his entire career is is a veneer of hilarity that underneath it hides what is a, a real waste of talent. And, I mean, I wrote something for Yahoo um, last... When was it last week that essentially talked about the dangers of hype relative to Adnan Yanazai? And for me, there's a lot of him that feels like hype. Um, and it, it's such a shame because he was such a wonderful talent. But you look at what is to most people, and I say most people because I'm sure there'll be some who don't look at it this way, the unabiding memories of him. And it's the story at Real Madrid with him having pastries and lots of women delivered to his room, and it's it's things like this and together. I just, yeah, I just think if if that's your epitaph in football, then 
there is an element of that that's quite I don't want to say pathetic, but honestly, that's the word that jumped into my head: pathetic and sad. Because you've you've wasted what so many would have killed for. Couldn't agree more. I think again, it could be showing us the mismanagement as well from his agents, maybe on his career moves and, and so forth. Over you know his cracking career, a fantastic player, you know one of the best, one of the first wonder kids um, that we saw coming out of Bari uh, in Italy. But again, very sad, sad stories. But anyway, let's finish there on a sad, sad note on Antonio Cassano. Maybe tweet Cassano's handle, whether he does have Twitter or Instagram or whatever. Just send him a love heart from the front three. But anyway, today on the front three, I've been joined by Kristen Hennig and of course Nico Morales. Kristen, anything that you want to shout out? Anything that you want the viewers to go and check out? You mentioned your article on Adnan Yanazai. That's um, linked on your Twitter account, right? Yes, it is. Um, I am doing something on Asensio uh, this week and, and kind of his Ooh. a little player. bit more personal um, and kind of the struggles he had as a youngster and how that shaped him as a, as a person. Um, and then... Yeah, I mean the, the Anazai piece was something I was 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 quite happy with. So yeah, that that stuff should should tide you over for a good 20 30 minutes during your lunch break. Mm, especially at lunchtime, make sure you go and check that stuff out because the essential story is a really interesting story. It's almost heart, you know, it pulls the strings of your heart and I, I kind of read about it today and it was, you know, it was it was interesting. So make sure you go and check out Chris's article. Nico, of course, is going to be launching his YouTube channel tomorrow. So if you want to go and check that out, Nico, what's the channel going to be called? Not not launching it tomorrow, but um, you know there are other things that you can check out on the old uh, Twitter. I ha- I just recently released an article on Bernardo Silva and how sort of he compares to a player in in Pep Guardiola's past and maybe the the role that he'll occupy next season. Um, so you can go check that out. It's my pin tweet. Uh, but other than that, yeah, there's there might also depending on Lawrence McKenna be a video on the on the front three YouTube channel dependent on Lawrence McKenna well he's got to give his package to his girlfriend first but maybe he'll be able to do it after that that's on Twitter we've got Kay Hennage um, of course for Kristen and Nico is Nico underscore O Morales Nico in terms of that article you were talking about it just makes me greatly upset every time I remember that Bernardo Silva will be <laughs> on the blue half of Manchester next season on that note that's that I've been Statman Dave see you later Make sure you uh, you know go and check out the podcast and drop a you know a, a lovely review on iTunes and that's been that. See you later, guys. Bye bye.